desired to talk about for a long, long time. And sorry, my, mute, my mic was muted. Uh, we're going to be talking about a topic that I've wanted to talk for a long, long time about. Uh, we're going to talk about career uh, and jobs. So uh, I know some of you guys are already hissing, all right? Um, why is that, all right? Uh, and that's actually why I want to talk about it. I, I think for the longest time, even for me when I was a student, uh, the idea of career, the idea of job was something that was a distraction to worship, a distraction to walking with and knowing and serving Jesus Christ. And, and so I want to come at that topic this morning because I think there could be nothing that's farther from the truth than that concept. And yet I think that concept really has kind of weddled in and, and uh, integrated into much of how you and I think and much of how you and I feel. And this morning, uh, I was wrestling this week, I've been wrestling with, hey, why is that? Why is it that none of you guys, if we're honest, are trying to fast-track your way out of college, right? Uh, none of you guys are trying to get as fast as you can to that diploma and get the heck out of here. A lot of you guys are taking your sweet, merry little time, right? Um, how many of you guys this morning are seniors in here? Showing hands? All right, there are a lot of you guys. All right, uh, you guys have probably already found this out, but you'll find this out in new ways at Christmas time. The most frequently asked question of you guys will be, what are you doing after college? What kind of job are you looking for, right? Um, and some of you who are juniors, I hate to break this to you, but this Christmas, that question will start for you this Christmas, all right? So uh, be prepared to say I have zero idea and zero clue, right? Uh, you have no idea what's going to happen after college, but people are going to begin to start asking you because they want to know what plan do you have? The assumption was you came to this place because you were going to eventually one day, Lord willing, leave and get a job, all right? Um, and a lot of us see that as the real world. A lot of us see that as a world of slavery, a world of where our hopes and our lives are over, right? Where our lives are dominated eight to five and we have no freedom and we're just prisoners, right? Um, that's how some of you guys view the real world that's coming. And I thought, why is that? Why, why is it that you and I have this sense of job and career with this sense of moan and, and angst and, and, and fear? At least for me, as I was thinking about it, I think one of the major reasons for me as a junior and a senior was that dreaded, horrific career fair, all right? Uh, I absolutely hated that thing, all right? It was like the gateway to the real world, and it, seemed, for me, symbolized everything that was wrong with the real world, all right? Um, and, and for me, it also very much paralleled what I felt like when I was trying to ask out a girl in college, right? So I, I would see this table I was interested in, a company back in my time. Mac hadn't dominated, so I was really enraptured with Dell, all right? I wanted to work for Dell. I was a computer engineer, and so I would do with Dell what I did with any girl that I wanted to ask out in college. I would, I, I would kind of see her, or, or Dell in this case, and I would begin to orbit, all right? Waiting until everyone was gone so that I could approach her individually and just, just us, right? So some of you guys wait till that girl's got all of her friends gone on to the parking lot, and then you, you buzz in, you beeline in, right? You're just waiting for that moment that she's finally free, and you can approach, right? Well, you do that at career fair. I just remember going, I sure as heck don't want to approach some agent or some guy uh, when there's a bunch of other people around. How embarrassing is that going to be when I look silly, right? Uh, same thing with a girl. I would rehearse what I was going to say, right? I don't know how difficult it was to say, hey, do you have any information on internships or jobs? I'd like to apply for one. I don't know why that was so difficult, but I'd rehearse it over and over, right? Uh, and I would do the same thing I did with a girl. I, I would finally see that moment where I could break in, and I would, I'd be walking towards her, and then I'd peel back and, and turn around, and then I'd, I'd talk my way back into walking towards her, and I'd peel back, and I'd do this over and over again. Or, you know, you guys would dial a number, you'd dial a few numbers, and then you'd hang up, and then you'd work up more courage to dial the next five numbers, and you'd hang up. Up. And then finally you get all your courage together and you dial all seven, right? Uh, that was the moment of real courage, right? Well, that's kind of how career felt, felt to me, right? You have this moment, this first impression moment where essentially you have some kind of horrific employment pickup line, all right? Or you got to you know, kind of win approval, right? And then you are looking for essentially a first date. 
an interview, all right? Uh, and then if that interview goes well, you're looking for a second date or a second interview, which eventually you would define the relationship as employer and employee, right? It's just like dating. It's horrific and awful, all right? And so career fair alone was enough for me to go, I'm out of here, all right? Um, that's why I'm in ministry. I'm just kidding, all right? Um, <laughs> Just kidding, all right? It wasn't career fair, all right? Um, hopefully it was the Lord, right? So, uh, but career fair really was that first gateway moment for me where I was like, oh, dear gosh, right? This is awful. Um, and, and I think for you guys, as you think about college, this is why so many of y'all, I think, take victory laps your fifth year, right? As if you need a whole year for a parade route through campus to do what you're expected to do, which is graduate, right? None of us, though, none of you guys are in a full sprint to get out of here. You guys, a lot of y'all are taking your sweet little merry time, all right? And that's why some of us immortalize six-year seniors. And we just applaud them like they've pulled off some great coup. They figured out how to be here for six years. Wow, that's awesome, right? Way to go, man, you know? Um, and then some of us are just, uh, uh, you know, avoid the, the real world in all different kinds of ways. I think some will graduate and head off to Europe where they'll find themselves and spend a lot of their parents' money, right? And we applaud them, all right? Uh, and then there are those that avoid the real world, I think, with far more noble reasons. Uh, they, they have a far more noble disguise and covering. It's known as graduate school, right? I, I remember uh, when, I, when I got out of this place, I thought, the last thing I want is more schooling. Are you crazy? Graduate school? No way. I have a secret suspicion about some of these people. They actually hate getting a job even more than the rest of us do. They hate it even more than school, and so they're back in school, right? That's what they're doing. And yet all of us eventually are going to head toward a job. Uh, then there are those that some of you guys may think that are the more real spiritual ones. They're the ones that really love Jesus, and so they head to seminary and ministry. And then there are those that are really spiritual, and they avoid the real world, and they avoid America altogether, and they head to missions, right? That's where... <laughs> That's where the spiritual radicals go, right? Some of you guys have that sense. And what I want to do this morning is debunk all of that, all right? There's nothing more spiritual about going into ministry as there is in going to a corporate job and being a CPA, all right? God has designed work, and he's called you and I to get a job. And there's nothing more spiritual about ministry and missions as there is about working a normal 8 to 5 job. You and I are all called and wired in different kinds of ways. And what I want to do this morning is really wrestle with the question, how is God designed and what are his purposes for career and for job? That's really why I want to go this morning. And really, if you've been following us with us all fall, we've been talking all fall about heaven and hell. Talk about these great realities that are coming in the future. And just last week, some of you guys were at retreat, but we kind of transitioned and began to talk really uh, last week and now for the rest of the semester about the here and the now. In light of heaven and hell that are future and that are certainly coming as inevitabilities, how do you and I live in the here and the now? The question we're going to be asking over and over again, applying it to different arenas is, can we have heaven on earth? How are we seeing the kingdom of God established? What does it look like and how does it relate to different arenas of our life? So in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about social justice. We're going to talk about politics. But this morning, we're going to talk about getting a job and having a career. All right. So that's where we're going to center in this morning. I think it's fascinating. Actually, I think it's quite appropriate because there were those in the church of Thessalonica that were so excited and expectant of heaven and hell and what was coming that they had quit working altogether, right? You guys may have run across this passage, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Notice what Paul says to the church in Thessalonica. He says that we hear that there are some among you who are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and to eat their own bread. 
the men and women in Thessalonica were so convinced that in the imminent return of Jesus Christ, they had basically become, I think you could say, they had eternal senioritis, right? They had, in a sense, downshifted. They knew Jesus was coming, so it didn't really matter what grades or what jobs they had. Let's just wait on Jesus because everything we need is coming. And so they had downshifted, really. And, and Paul comes and says, no, 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 no. In light of what is coming, get a job, all right? Because we're going to see this morning as we kind of unfold this, that getting a job and a career actually has very much divine origins and divine purposes. Much of how God is going to establish his kingdom on earth is going to be in part through your jobs and through your careers. Much of what I heard through college really was essentially the the main thing that I heard as to the purpose of a job and a career was twofold. It was one, so that you could have money to give to the church, and two, that you could have co-workers to share the gospel with. And what I want to say to you this morning is that those are true, but there is much broader purposes for your work and your job than just the money you make to give to a church and the co-workers that you're around that you'll share the gospel with. God's purposes for your job that you'll have one day expand beyond that. And frankly, what he is purpose for your job is very much even present in your schooling career Right now, and so much of what we're going to say isn't just for seniors that are about to be in the real world, but it's very much going to apply to your job, your career, your vocation now as a student. So what has God called you to? What has God designed your job and your career to involve and tell? And what does he choose and what is he hoping to accomplish in and through? That's where we're going to go this morning. But I think you and I have, by and large, a negative sense of calling and job because I think you and I have bought into, in a sense, a myth. I think you and I think that work is the curse that came in Genesis chapter 3. That if it weren't for the Adam and Eve eating the apple, if it weren't for sin, that you and I wouldn't then have to work. And so if it weren't for Adam and Eve, this thing called work would, would, wouldn't be a curse and we wouldn't have to do it at all. As if it's just some leftover uh, that we're stuck with because of what Adam and Eve did. And the first thing I want you guys really to see is that work is not a curse. I think you and I have this sense in our minds and our hearts that, that in a sense that work is because of the curse or because of sin and that if it weren't for sin, we wouldn't have to work. And yet, what I want you guys to see all the way back in Genesis 1 and 2 is that work was present before the fall. Work is not a curse. Work is an opportunity. Work is a privilege. Work is a tax that not only that God did, but that you and I have been handed to all the way back in Genesis chapter 2. Notice Genesis 2 verse 2. Speaking uh, of God himself, by the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Genesis 2, God was a worker. God worked, therefore he rested. Work was present before Adam and Eve were created, and even before Adam and Eve fell into sin. God works. And if God is working, then it's probably not that awful that we're called to work as well, right? In fact, he's going to give us that task in Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to give you a a verse from chapter 1 and a verse from chapter 2. The highlight, really, in a sense, what God tasked Adam and Eve with. Uh, Genesis 1, God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Obviously, procreation was part of the task that God gave Adam and Eve. I doubt they considered that work or grueling. But uh, here was the task that they were given, right? Uh, Fill the earth and subdue it. And rule over the fish, over the birds, and over every living thing. And then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. Genesis 1, Genesis 2. Uh, God is the worker in Genesis 2. He's the one who sees the earth as formless and void. God is forming the earth. He's creating. He's making. He's developing that which he's creating. He was working. He gives that task to humanity really as his vice regents, as those that are right under his charge, to rule over all that he has created to fill it and to rule it so that, he can re- so that man can represent God. And as man works, as man uh, fills the earth and as he subdues the creation that God has handed him as a steward of it, uh, he is fulfilling the design and the purpose of God for work. 
Notice Adam and Eve were cultivating, they were keeping, they were managing, they were ruling over, they were working. It's not going to be until Genesis chapter 3 that we're going to see that something occurs to work. Work gets hard, it gets difficult, it gets ineffective. Adam and Eve eat the apple, they fall into sin, their relationship with God is broken, and a curse comes over all of the creation that God has handed to Adam and Eve. And in that we see that there's a curse even upon the work that God gave them. Cursed is the ground because of you, and toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles that shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread. God had worked himself. He handed to Adam and Eve, to humanity, the task of working, cultivating, and ruling over his creation. But because of sin, not just that God, God and um, humanity's relationship would be torn apart, but even humanity's relationship with the earth would be torn apart, and now work would become difficult. It wouldn't be effective. It wouldn't always lead to the results that one wanted. It would be toilsome. It would be draining. It would be hard. And so work falls under the curse just like every single thing else. Childbirth. Um, every single aspect of the creation falls under the curse, including work. And so that which was good, that which was divine, that which was meaningful and significant, a task that God performed and that he gave man and wo- woman, now has fallen under the curse and is difficult and is sometimes ineffective. Which is why at times working is hard and is draining. Uh, some of you guys have done internships in the summer and you come home and all you want to do is just collapse like a puddle on the couch because you're exhausted and you're tired. And ultimately what we're going to see, though, is that work was meant to be meaningful. It is meant to be satisfying and significant because it's meant to fulfill the design God has for you and for your life. Work is not something that is with disregard to God. God very much cares for work. He created work and he's handed it to you and I and called us to it before the fall, after the fall, and before the return of Christ. And I would even argue, as we talked about even earlier this fall, even in heaven, you and I are going to have a task and we're going to be working. Because it was good before the fall and is going to be good after the return of Christ. Then it won't be tiresome, then it won't be demeaning, and then it won't be ineffective. Work is present before the fall, after the fall, and even after the return of Christ. Work is good. Work is not a curse. It has been cursed, but it is not a curse. Uh, Some of you guys, as you walked through this last week, uh, watched the Texas Rangers fall uh, horrifically. Uh, depressingly. Um, I'm a Dallas guy, uh, and so this is kind of setting up for me to be an amazing sports year. All right, Mavericks, champions, Rangers were twice two strikes away from the World Series, right? First time ever in history. And now I'm beginning to feel like maybe they've been cursed, right? Two World Series in a row. Where do we go from here? Uh, Being a Texas Rangers fan has all of a sudden gotten a lot harder, all right? It was hard when they were awful, Uh, It's gotten a lot harder now that there's expectations and they've just pulled my heart out, walked all over it, crushed it, and tried to put it back in me, all right? Uh, Being a Texas Rangers fan, it essentially has come under a curse, all right? It's difficult. It doesn't lead to the results that I want it to. It's a lot like being a Dallas Cowboys fan as well, right? Uh, It's tragic at times, all right? Um, And yet, and yet, despite the curse, despite the difficulty, despite the ineffectiveness of where this goes sometimes, It still is very much my own heartbeat. It's still very much a joy. It's still very much significant for me, all right? Despite difficulty, despite ineffectiveness, it does not mean that work is not something that God still doesn't have for us. Or that it's something that God can't still bring a lot of reward, a lot of fulfillment, a lot of meaning out of. And even a lot of impact on our world through it. Because work primarily is a commission, Work is a commission. It's something that you and I have been called to. In fact, I think back to earlier days, and you think of artists that would be commissioned to a great feat or a great project that would be to the benefit of the community, right? 
uh, an authority, a king or a prince, or in some cases a priest or, or bishop would uh, appoint an artist to perform a piece of art or to uh, develop it. And it would be to the great contribution of the community that it would leave a lasting mark in response to the one who had commissioned it. I think work is very much like that, but we've lost that picture of it. Work is in response to one who's commissioned us and is to be to the benefit of the community. I think for many of us there at Blenner, at our A&M, you and I have a sense that we want to leave a lasting mark. You and I feel, in a sense, as we move from here, that we feel called to the world, and we, as Aggies or as Blinstones, want to make a mark on that world. In fact, I kind of ran across a story this past fall, or this fall, of a story that occurred last spring. Some of you guys may know this. It blew my mind. But uh, as Aggies, uh, some uh, assembled a group of Aggies to make a world record last April. Uh, you guys may not know this. You may not have run across the bat or uh, across CNN. Uh, but a group assembled 676 Aggies put them in rows of 50 to set a world record for the most number of people at a single venue spooning. <laughs> Let that capture in your mind real quick, all right? 670 Aggies in rows of 50 for five minutes spooning to set a world record. I don't know whether to clap or to feel silly, right? I don't know what to do with that, all right? Um, and, and I think it really captures though that sense that we want to make a mark, all right? Now, ultimately, as we move out from here with a career, my hope is that our mark is a little more significant and that our mark is a little more impacting and contributing to the community, all right? Because ultimately what work is, is meant to be a contribution to the community. Notice how uh, Paul says in the First Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, a book earlier, he says this to the church of Thessalonica. He says that we urge you to excel still more in love. In fact, he's been speaking there in the context. He says, I want you guys to excel. I want you guys to grow. I want you to love one another so well. What's fascinating, though, is how is he going to talk about the application of love? How does he want them specifically to love? Notice what he says, 1 Thessalonians 4. I want you to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, attend your own business, and work with your hands. Essentially, here's how I want you to love one another. Shut up, get out of the way, and get a job. All right, That's what Paul basically says, all right? Be quiet, don't be a distraction, and get a job. Work with your hands. Here's why. Because just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. That was a problem, again, they was going to bring up in Second Thessalonians when they weren't working, is that they were a drain to the community. They were taking all the resources, and they were dramatic, and they were a distraction to the community. And what he's saying to the church here is, here's how I want you to love one another. I want you to love one another in such a way that you would enter into society in a way that is not a distraction, is not dramatic, that you would get a job, that you would be contributive to the culture so that you could also be a blessing to the church and to the culture. Ultimately, what your job is meant to be is, is a contribution to the community. That's why you're getting a job, to make a difference, to make an impact, to contribute and to be a blessing to the community, which is ultimately why I think work is, in a sense, a loving service. Your job and your career is meant to be a loving service to the community that you're going to step into. That's why Paul will say in Ephesians 6, uh, he says, As slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, render service. That Ephesians section is in a larger section, speaking of really master-slaves relationships, but that I think have some bearing on employer and employee relationships and this idea of getting a job. But notice, notice the heartbeat there in Ephesians 6. As slaves of Christ, doing the will of God, this is the will of God that you get a job. And that you do it from the heart with goodwill, render service. Notice the motivation is one of love. It is one of service. The purpose of your job is to love the community and to serve the community as you step into it. Which is why it's also requiring our all. Paul says in Colossians 3.23, Whatever you do, do your work heartily 
that word heartily there, literally in the Greek, is ek suke, which literally means out of the soul. <laughs> As you do your job, you are meant to do it ek suke. You are meant to do it out of your very soul, meaning the entirety of all that you are. Your job is meant to be a loving service to the community that will require the entirety of your soul and move you uh, as you serve the community. I'll, I'll tell you guys, as I came into college, I chose computer engineering back in my freshman year because at the time, computer engineers were getting fat signing bonuses and making a lot of money. All right, I, I chose that degree expressly because I wanted to make a lot of money. All right, It was all about me. And I think for some of you guys, as you think about your careers, as you think about the industries you're going to step into, let me challenge you. The purpose of your career and your job is not all about you. It's not how much money you're going to make. It's not the kind of fame you're going to have. It's not the kind of reputation and influence you're going to have. Ultimately, it's about a loving service to the community that makes a difference. Why are you choosing the industries you're stepping into? Is it about the fame that you'll get as an anesthesiologist? Is it about the reputation those careers have or the money they're going to make? Why are you stepping towards certain careers? What is your grid that you're processing that maneuver in that pursuit? Ultimately, I, I think our careers are meant to be a contribution to the community and that we're meant to give our all towards it. Uh, and I think, for, frankly, for some of you guys, school is a test case for what's going to happen in your career. Ultimately, if you, someone looked upon you as you worked how, and as you studied, what would they conclude of you? Do you give your all to school? I'll tell you one of the things I've noticed over the years is that those, are the most, those that are the most fervent for Jesus Christ sometimes are the most lazy with school. <laughs> Seriously. Those that, that really want to make a difference and serve Jesus Christ sometimes are the worst students, the worst project teammates. And that is horrific and that is horrible. All right. Your, your education, your career as a student is going to be parallel to your career as an employee. And God very much cares for how you walk through this, which is because your career is not just meant to be a contribution to the community, but is ultimately meant to be submission to an authority. Notice, though, what Paul says in Colossians 3. Notice the authority that you have over you, whether a student or whether an employee. Notice what he says, Colossians 3. In all things, obey those who are your masters on earth. Not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, and it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. As you guys are slaving away this fall in school, the primary professor you have is Jesus Christ. It is not your professor. Eventually you're going to step into a career and the primary manager or boss you're going to have is Jesus Christ, not that person. So the question is, as you maneuver through school and as you maneuver through a job one day, are you pleasing the one who's commissioned you to that task? You're here at Blinn or at Texas A&M because God has called and planted you here. And that vocation is a response to the commission that he's given you. And the question is, are you pleasing the one who's commissioned you to that job or that task right now? The way that you work, the way that you study, would Jesus Christ be impressed and be pleased by your response and your behavior and your maneuvering through it? Careful, because what I find often, more often than not, is the ones that are most fervent about Jesus Christ are the laziest students often and the worst, and the worst project mates. Because I think it's a lower priority to knowing Jesus Christ. And what I want you to see this morning, what I'm trying to draw together, is that your, your career is very much part of the design and the purpose of God as he tries to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth. It is not a side business. It is not a second priority. It is very much a part of what he's doing and how he's using and going to uh, wire you and design you and call you as you walk with him. 
Because ultimately, your work is, is a commission, not just that it's going to be a contribution to the community, and not just because it's a submission to authority, but as you do those two things, what's really fascinating about it is that it leads to a declaration of the gospel. That the way that you contribute to the community, the way that you s- submit to an authority, ultimately leads to a declaration of the gospel. Notice how Paul says this in Titus. This passage is fascinating to me. He says this, um, he says, urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. Notice that the way that you serve and the way that you contribute as a student or as an employee one day will cause others to come and adorn or literally decorate up the gospel. The way that you serve as a student, the way that you serve as an employee will cause the gospel to be attractive. I can't help but think of Christmas coming up. I can't help but think of the movie Christmas Vacation and the house for Chevy Chase just being lit up and power going out all across the city, all right? That's just one of those moments that's just part of Christmas for me, all right? Uh, And I can't help but thinking it's exactly what Paul is saying in Titus 2. That the way that you serve as a student, the way that you serve as an employee one day will cause the gospel to be lit up across the city. The way that you walk through those arenas causes other people uh, and determines their perception of the gospel. The way that you go through school and work will cause some to see the gospel as attractive. For some, it will cause the gospel to be disregarded. One of the most powerful moments for me, I actually, some of you guys may know this, but when I was a college student, I actually, in the summers and in the winters, was a shoe salesman. Wasn't the most glorious job, all right? Uh, but it was very transforming of my character, all right? Um, but there was an image I had in that job that really always stuck with me. We had a, a manager over us uh, who loved the Lord and would talk of the Lord. Um, and, and at the same time, uh, he was one of the biggest servants I had ever seen. Um, he actually would wear uh, consistently $700 alligator shoes, all right? Which in most arenas, you'd think that's materialistic, but remember, he's a shoe salesman, right? So you got to wear the best, all right? So, but what he would do at the end of every night shift that he was a manager over is he would himself roll up his pant legs, wearing his alligator shoes that were $700, and he would clean the bathrooms. A task that was normally reserved for the lowest guy on the totem pole, which would have been me, right? The college student shoe salesman, all right? And so he would take my place, and he would serve in that regard, modeling and causing the gospel in that workplace to be incredibly attractive. All right, for me, it was also a great picture, frankly, of the gospel period, of Jesus Christ leaving the glories of heaven, stepping down and serving amongst men so that men could be reconciled to Jesus Christ, dying a death of infamy and and, uh, shame so that you and I could be reconciled and that we could know Jesus Christ. The way that you serve as a student, the way that you serve as an employee will one day cause a great decoration upon the gospel. You are either decorating it up or you are disguising over it by the way that you walk through those two different arenas. This is absolutely huge for the vocations that you and I are in now and that we're going to be in moving forward. Your work is a commission, and then lastly, uh, your work leads to a compensation. I think one of the primary purposes of your job is that it's going to lead to a decoration of the gospel. The second thing, though, is I think it leads to compensation. One is personal joy and satisfaction. Some of you guys are wired for jobs that some of us would die in, all right? Uh, Some of you guys here are, like myself, engineers, and some of us in here think we're just crazy, all right? Think that we don't like people or something. I don't know what it is that you guys think about us, all right? Just because we're good with math and science doesn't mean that we don't like people, all right? So, um, and then some of you guys are going to step in as teachers. Some of you guys are going to step into medicine. And one of the things I want you guys to hear is I think God has set and wired you and your passions and your interests and your capacities to serve him in a career, Pursue something that you're going to enjoy. Now, the reality is you're going to graduate in the first year out of college. It's probably not going to be your dream job, all right? 
you may just have to kind of get your foot in the door and you may eventually kind of get towards something that is really right up your alley. There's going to be aspects of a job that are always going to be difficult, but pursue something not because of the paycheck at the end of it, but pursue something that fits your design, your gifting, and your passions. That's not a ministry thing. That's a vocation thing, right? And so for some of you guys, you may love working with your hands. You may love working outside. So pursue construction. Some of you guys may have passions and interests in things that our culture would say aren't the greatest things to be compensated financially or the things that receive the greatest honor and praise. But pursue that which you have an interest in. Some of you guys, uh, some of you ladies in here, really frankly have a great desire to stay home with kids and to be a stay-at-home mom. And you get jokes all the time around here about uh, pursuing an MRS degree. And let me tell you, uh, that's silly. Uh, your desire to be at home with kids is phenomenal. It's very much a fulfillment of Titus 2 where uh, young moms are called to be workers at home. That's fabulous and that's great. Our culture will look at it and scoff and say that's not a job. And yet I'll tell you, it's a lot harder job than anything I do. All right, And anything that a lot of you guys will do. But let me challenge you to pursue employment, pursue a job, not because of the paycheck, not because of the fame that's established to it, but that one that fits your joy and your satisfaction. Work is is made difficult, but it's still going to be and can be fulfilling and satisfying for you. As crazy as it seemed, I actually kind of liked holding away in a computer lab and programming, all right? It kind of fit part of my design. It ended up not being where God called me, but there's an aspect of it that I liked. Marcy thought that was crazy and weird, but I liked it, all right? And some of you guys are going to pursue careers that are crazy to some of us, all right? But pursue what fits you because God's designed you for that to pursue it. Second thing I'd say is that, of course, work will lead to a monetary payment. You didn't come home with a paycheck. For the first time, you're going to be tasked with something that will pay you, unlike school that just sucks every dime you have, right? Um, You're going to get a paycheck. And let me challenge you. Sure, an aspect of that, of you getting a paycheck, is so that you can be a steward of financial resources, and the question will be, what will you do with them? Again, if you pursued a job because it's all about you, and you pursued a paycheck because it's all about you, then what you do with your money will be all about you. In fact, I'd argue that not just that your student life mirrors your work life, but I'd argue what you do with your money now as a poor student will mirror what you'll do with your money as a person with a paycheck. Uh, actually, there's a lot less that you're going to realize you have for discretionary income once you have that paycheck out of school than actually you do have now. I actually think you have more money now for eating out, for music, and for movies than you will once you're actually graduated and employed, and that is depressing, all right? Uh, but what you're doing with your money now will mirror what you do with your money later. question is, what will you do with it? Will you use it to the Lord's resources and for the establishment of His glory, or will it also be all about you? Last thing here I'd say this morning is, interestingly enough, I think as you look through the Gospels and through the New Testament epistles, that your job can actually, I think, lead to eternal reward. Notice what Paul says in Colossians 3, and this one to me is a kicker. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. I think Paul is speaking in Colossians 3 of an eternal reward that is to come on the basis of how you pursue and serve in a career. And I think as we think about eternal rewards, as we think about the things that God will reward, why do we always go to what things seem overly spiritual? So if you suffer for the gospel, if you give your money to the gospel, uh, if you study your Bible, if you disciple, those things will be rewarded. But you and I have this idea, I think, of career that is so disregarded and disconnected from the purposes of God, and I think nothing could be farther from the truth. Your career is very much an aspect of how God has designed and called you and will use you very much for your purposes, for his purposes, and for his glory to be established. 
what I want to do as we end this morning is I actually wanted to bring uh, a good friend up. Uh, Harry Wilson's going to come up. And uh, I wanted to let you guys hear from someone who's actually been in a career for longer than I was. I did some computer part-time programming. I was a shoe salesman, but I've really not really been in the trenches of a career in an industry. And I think you guys really need to hear from someone who is there. You guys need to kind of get a sense of what it looks like. And someone who's been honoring the Lord in and through that. Um, uh, I also wanted to let you guys, as you hear from him, I wanted you guys to have an opportunity also to meet his wife, uh, Chris. And Chris and Harry have been just a joy for us. They've been jumping into college ministry. They have a huge heart for you guys, have a huge heart uh, for the Lord, to serve the Lord, to know the Lord. Um, and also, I think in this arena, and this topic, I think Harry is uh, a great voice for you guys to hear from. And so Harry's going to come on up. Are looking for good people and good people are hard to find and what I mean by that is that good people or as Trey indicated are hard workers and they have moral compasses and a lot of people out there do not have that okay my wife Chris and I uh, were recently over in Austin uh, actually this weekend and we were visiting with our daughter Catherine and her husband, Andrew, and I asked them over dinner, what would you say? And uh, they both gave two different perspectives. Um, Catherine indicated that your balances at A&M versus in the workplace will change dramatically. And so will the consequences. So, for example, if you decide to go out and blow off a class or not make an appointment, that will have maybe impact on your grades or whatever, but when you're in the workplace, uh, you've got to be on all the time. Uh, It's not 10 to 15 hours a week, but you've got to be on all the time. The other thing that uh, she indicated is that it can be a tough first year. Uh, It can be difficult. I remember when I first came to Dallas and left Indiana. That was difficult the first year. It can be lonely, and sometimes that's okay too. And then I think you need to be patient with the seasons of life. You can't have everything all at once. And contrary to the American dream, frankly, you can't have it all because everything has a cost. And so you have to discern down the road what you're going to do, how you're going to spend your time because you can't be the CEO of a corporation and say you want to live in a small town and raise your children, and be married, and work in one place. You're going to move 10, 15 different times during the course of a career. I think the other thing regarding the paradigm is that in respect to income and earnings, realize that when you hear people making sixty dollars to $80,000 out of college, that is the exception. That is not the norm, Okay. The other thing that I would, would stress is that you look, you look early. Job is not going to come to you. You're going to have to look early. And the job will be something that if you're a senior right now and you haven't started the process, I would strongly encourage you to start. Again, you've got things that from a moral perspective and from a work ethic that employers are wanting. And they're wanting to find you all, but you have to make yourself present. My son Andrew talked about the financial aspects of being in the workplace. And you may have seen in the news the other day, student debt hit $1 trillion. It was incredible. 
and debt is, is out of control in our society. We are a society that doesn't save. We are a society that uh, is held burdened by credit cards, and we need to realize that when we get out of A&M and into the workplace, if you need help with a budget, as most of you will, seek that help. If you need help with finances and financial planning, buying a home down the road, find those people who can give you that help, okay? Because it's real important that you start off well. And that also means living below your means, okay? A lot of people go out and say, oh, my parents have got this, and they drive that, and they live like that, and I want that. But that's not the reality. The reality is if you live below your means, in the long run, it puts you in a place where you can save. And saving is the lost art in America. And if you can save and you can start saving early, it's an exponential effect. And then in closing, the last thing that I would say is um, remember your significance and security is not in the job. It is in Christ. Remember that there is a difference between your vocation and your occupation. Your vocation is that you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You are an individual who Trey said is in the workplace to be seen as one who represents our Savior. Your occupation can be one of a hundred different things, but your vocation comes first. When you leave this place, find community. Find people who are in a church. doesn't have to be the first church you could go to, but look to the place in the community that you're in and find two or three people that you can connect with and that you can be in community. I would also say look for a mentor, whether that's in the church or that's in the workplace. Look for somebody who you can be with and that you can have accountability with. And then the last thing that I would say is looking back over a 30-year career is that after I left A&M, actually it was Indiana, when I left Indiana, the urge to merge kicked in. And uh, what I mean by that is um, my wife, Chris, at that time was uh, living up in Indiana. I had moved to Dallas, and um, she broke up with her boyfriend, and that was the best day of my life. (laughs) So with that being said, um, I will tell you this, that in the whole scheme of things, the greatest blessing that the Father has given me has been my wife, Chris, and our two children. With that in mind, remember, it's just a job. People get sidetracked all the time by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Don't get sidetracked. Keep first things first. Love the Lord. Love your wife. Love your kids. Love your family. And at the end of the day, you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant.
let me encourage you guys to come meet Harry and Chris today. I would love to have a chance to kind of interact with you guys, and especially for you seniors. Let me highly encourage you to see them as a resource, a great couple to get to know. Um, we have just uh, loved uh, getting to kind of connect with them. Chris actually helps Marcy a lot in some of the ministry stuff that she's involved with, and so they've become dear, fast friends. And so please, for you guys, come, come meet them, come grab them, uh, pursue them, uh, get to know them, and, and they would love to uh, kind of connect with you guys. So let me pray for you guys. Father God, I give you great thanks uh, that no aspect of our lives is outside of your design and your purposes. Father, I thank you that you aren't just concerned with um, the spiritual side of our lives or that there's some aspect or some category that is particularly relevant to you. Uh, but I thank you that in all that you've created that and all that you've called us to, that you have intentions and a plan and a purpose as you've revealed it to us. And Father, I pray that you would allow us uh, as students um, and then eventually as employees, Lord, I pray that you'd allow us to maneuver through those arenas with great winsomeness, great grace, um, with excellence, um, and yet with great priority, um, trusting you and worshiping you even in and through those things. Father, I pray that you would give us um, the ability to represent you, uh, to light up your gospel uh, in the arenas that you've put us in, and that you'd allow us, even in that which we're fruitful in, even that which we're excellent in, to give you praise, to give you glory, and to redirect people's attention to you in, in all that we're about. Father, we ask for these things this morning through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. Thanks for coming, guys, and we'll see you all next week.